0: Jesus, today we want to thank you that we were once blind, but now we see. Lord, we thank you that with open eyes we can see the life that you've created us to live. Lord, we can understand that we don't have to bring any old behaviors that were back there when you found us into the new life that you've given us. And Lord, we just want to thank you that this new life that you've created us to live, you give us the power of your spirit and of your heart and of you being in us to live it. So Lord, today I pray as we hear your word, I pray that we wouldn't just hear it with our ears, but Lord, it would go right down into the depth of our heart right into the soil and the fabric of our being to help us, to change us, to conform us and transform us to your wonderful likeness. Lord, we want to be those people that John talks about in his letter where he says, as he is, talking about you, Jesus, as he is, so are we in this world. Lord Jesus, we want to lay claim to that promise. We want it to be said of us that as you are in heaven, so are we on this earth. When we walk up and down the highways and the byways of life, I pray that people would see a wonderful reflection of who you are. We ask this in your name, Because this is what you've created us for, and this is your will, your kingdom on heaven. Lord, we pray for it, and we thank you for it. This is our expectation of faith. This is our expectation of life, not a low expectation, but the highest expectation we can have to live this life knowing that you live inside us and seeing you live through us. Lord, we ask this. In Jesus' name, let's give him a shout of praise, church, if you believe that, if you want to lay claim to that, if that is your expectation for today and forevermore, I think we should give him a big shout and a big praise in this place. That's what we've been born again for. Hallelujah. And you can be seated. Now, let's give our musicians a fantastic praise this morning. They've been a great blessing to us. Absolutely wonderful. But you know, just to carry on from that prayer, Jesus has not created any single one of us to live a substandard life, a get-by life. Jesus has created each one of us to encounter that supernatural power within us that enables us to walk through life, to reflect who He is. Not, you know, some beat-up old life that we once lived, that we once, you know, had to walk, that we once had to carry, but a new life. The Bible is full of wonderful statements like, old things have passed away. You know them well. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It's talking about your life. It's talking about my life. All things have gone. They've gone. They're past. Lots of times in life, those things try to lurk around. Those things still try to come up every now and again and characterize us. But we've got to stand up on the inside with that expectation of faith and, you know, deal with that stuff and say, do you know what? You're not coming near me. Because that's not who I am anymore. You know, when that old devil tries to come around reminding you of who you once were, you can say, listen, you're talking about a man that no longer exists. You're, you're referring to a woman that is no longer here. That person is dead and buried in the grave. A brand new person has risen in Christ. I'm telling you. And this is the life that God has created each one of us to live greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. God wants us to understand that. God wants life to be an unveiling of that, that greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. You don't have to wake up to your old self anymore. Just wake up to the greatness of God within you. It's wonderful. He's in you. We live in him. We move in Him. We have our being in Him. When people look at your life, when they hear you speak, when they see you act, when they see your reactions and your responses, they're seeing tangible, tangible signs that God is alive. I believe that. I really do. You can be confident of that. When they hear you talk, when they respond to things that they cannot respond to but you respond to it, they are seeing tangible signs that God is alive. When they look at you, they are seeing a mirror reflection of God's greatness, of God's nature, of God's goodness, of God's attributes. Why? Because He lives in you. He moves in you. It's, it's, it's normal for us for that to, to be the reality of our lives. And this was the wonderful life that the New Testament church entered into and enjoyed. This wasn't fairy tale stuff. This wasn't makeup stuff, you know, just to cheer them up. On a bad day. No, they were writing about the realities of what they were experiencing and how they were living their lives. John, in his epistle, said, As he is, so are we. He wasn't doubtful in that reality. He was strong. He was confident. As he is in heaven, we know exactly how he is in heaven. He's reigning, he's ruling, he's got authority, he's got dominion. As he is in heaven, what we know about him in heaven at the right hand of the Father, so are we in this world. So are we in this world. When people look at you, when they see you, when they hear you, they're going to they're gonna see the wonderful greatness of God, aspects of His greatness. I believe that. And that should be our expectation. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. I'm telling you, if you get a taste of God, you're going to get a good taste in your mouth. You really are. You're going to get the finest taste of all of those rich qualities in your being. Taste and see that He is good. If you get a sour taste in your mouth, I'm telling you now, you've not bitten into God You've not tasted God. You've not digested God. When you taste God, He's good. He's good. It's a good taste that you get left with when you taste God. His character, His qualities, His life, His love for you. It's a wonderful, wonderful taste that He diffuses in your life. And as a result of tasting Him, that taste is diffused to others. It's diffused like an aroma, the Bible tells us, that's a blessing, not to everybody, but to those that want to receive Jesus. It's a wonderful blessing. It's an attractive thing that brings them on in to the kingdom of God. God's good. God is wonderful, and He has great things in store for us. We've been looking over the last few weeks from John chapter 13, Jesus is in an upper room with His disciples. He would brought them into that room to show them what He was about. They'd been arguing, we said. We've looked at that at length. We're not going to go over it today. They'd been arguing in the afternoon, "'Who's the greatest? Everybody wants to be great.'" but they don't want to do it Jesus' way. Jesus had told them repeatedly, if you want to become great, you have to become the least. They didn't hear that part. In the afternoon, they were squabbling, fighting, competing with one another as to who could step on each other's head to get up the ladder. It's the culture of this world. It's the spirit of this age where one gets above another. The world hasn't changed. Like Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. The nature of man and woman is always the same. It's just repeat after repeat after repeat. Who can be the greatest? And Jesus had this dilemma in his team with his closest friends. They were competing as to who could be the greatest and arguing, not in front of Jesus, but out of sight of Jesus. And they didn't think that he knew anything about the conversation that they had earlier in the afternoon, in the evening. It's probably one of the greatest moments of Jesus' life. He's on the eve of being crucified and being punished and going into a garden and relinquishing his will completely before the Father saying, not my will be done, but thy will be done. On the eve of that, He goes into a room with his disciples and he wants to help them. He doesn't want to debate with them. He doesn't want to fight with them. He doesn't want to contend with their bad behavior and try and instruct them. So he demonstrates what he's all about. He gets on his knees and he begins to wash his feet. And they, you know, are shocked and horrified to see the master, the king of kings, the lord of lords, the Christ, the son of the living God on his knees before them. And he demonstrates to them what true greatness is becoming the least. He embodied his own teaching. The word became flesh, John tells us. And there it is, right before them, visible, up before them in their face, close and personal, the word being fleshed out on its knees, washing their feet, and they couldn't stand the sight of it. Why? Why? Because their understanding of greatness was far different to the understanding of God's greatness. And there was a contest and a, and, a, and, a, and a scuffle. And it was an awkward moment to the point that Peter says, you will never wash my feet. Never wash my feet. Peter had a problem receiving. He had a problem receiving. And when you can't receive... You can't give. Jesus says to him very simply, Peter, if you don't allow me to do this, you have no part with me. What was Jesus saying? Listen, Peter, if you can't receive at this level, we ain't going to be able to go anywhere because you're defining your capacity to receive. And if you've got a small capacity to receive from me, you'll never be able to give out You'll never be able to give beyond yourself. You'll never be able to give beyond the ceiling that you're setting in front of all of your friends. If you're telling me that I can't go to the lowest place of your life and wash your feet, you're never ever going to be able to go beyond that. You're always going to be a self-contained man, and you're never going to be able to be a blessing to others beyond yourself. Your ability to receive determines your ability to give. Your ability to receive determines your ability to give. We work with His church closely. And and Faye and I remember one day when we went up there and we were talking to the gentleman in charge, Trevor Cockin, and he was talking to us about giving and receiving. And uh, he told us about two pastors that came into the warehouse one day And he set a little test up for these pastors. His church has huge resources at their aid. And he brought these pastors into a huge wardrobe of designer clothes. And he said to each pastor, gave them a big, large trolley. He said, just go and fill your trolleys with as much clothes as you want. I mean, the McCoy stuff the designer labels, all of the labels. So, the one pastor man, he just grabs his trolley, races into the wardrobe, and just starts pulling things off the rails and just loading his trolley up with jeans, trainers. I mean, everything that you can think of. This guy is so excited. He is receiving. The other man stands still, and Trevor says to him, aren't you going to go into the wardrobe just to receive? And the man says, no, I don't need to receive anything. I've got a wardrobe full of clothes at home. I don't want to be selfish. I don't want to take what other people need. Now, please hear what this man is saying, because it sounds so plausible. It sounds so honorable, but it is very, very selfish, at its root. Trevor turns it on its head by the Spirit of God, and he said, you have, just, you have just set a ceiling on your ability to receive. You have just outlined your capacity and told me where you are. You see, now because you can't receive like that other pastor friend has received, you won't be able to give anything beyond what you have. He said, if you'd have gone in with your trolley, who knows what would have met you outside of these doors. Maybe a man, maybe a person that is in need, maybe a person that's on the street that needs help. And yet now you're going away empty-handed and you have nothing in hand to help a needy world. Peter was saying, you'll never wash my feet, you'll never come to that place in my life. I can't receive, to receive from you there. I can receive from you as Lord. I can receive from you as Savior, but I cannot receive from you as my servant. Jesus can be anything to you that He, he wants to be. He can be your Savior, your reigning Lord, and He can be your servant. He really can. Jesus said, listen, I don't want this to be the end of the road, Peter, but if it has to be the the end of the road, then it will be. And he draws a line in the sand and Peter says, No, Lord, please, mistake. I've made it. I want to receive. And he allows Peter to wash his feet. This is incredible, incredible love being demonstrated before them. We've been talking about the essential ingredient to building a healthy church, the essential ingredient to building a successful, healthy, great life. God wants you to be successful. Would He have created you just to, you know, be a failure? When God made you, think about it for a moment. Would He have thought in heaven, do you know what? Yeah, I've created that one to be a success. I've created that one to to be prosperous. But I've created this one to be poor and ugly and beaten up. They're just going to be an absolute failure. No, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I believe that God has destined everyone to be great, to be a blessing. I believe that God has destined every person in this house, in fact, beyond this house, Every living person on the face of this planet, God has a plan for, and it's a great plan. The plan that God has for you may be different than the plan He has for me. He may have planned for you to be a multimillionaire, and He may not have planned that for me, but He's got a great plan for me, even though it's not the same plan as, as, as He's got for you. But He's got a great plan for each one of us. He really has. You know, I was thinking about this this morning and thoughts came back to my mind. Have you ever had an impulsive thought? An imp- no. Never. Oof. Then we are very unlike Mick. <laughs> oh, I've had lots of them. Lots of impulsive thoughts. And some of the impulsive thoughts that I've had in the course of my life, I've taken hold of and, and without any pre thought about the consequences that will come as a result of following those impulsive thought. I've just gone with the motto, you know what? Just do it. And usually, when you've got a philosophy of just do it, lots of mistakes and lots of things can happen that you didn't really plan for. Like the time when I had an impulsive thought about Faye's 30th birthday party. 30. She was becoming 30. I thought, my God, do you know what? I have got to do something special. I mean, 30 is a, is a landmark age, isn't it? I thought, you know, I have got to get her a present that is really, that she's really going to remember. Oh, she remembered this present, all right. <laughs> oh, yes, sir. I, I, and I gave, I promise you, I gave hours to it. I thought, well, she's got this, she's got that. I can't get her that because she already has one. And then this impulsive thought came into my mind. A sudden thought came into my mind. I know what she needs. She needs a scooter. Thirtieth <laughs> birthday party. She needs a scooter. Do you know one of those little aluminium scooters? Yeah. Well, they were just first hit in the market. First hit in the. First hit in the. The, the, the supermarkets, and it was becoming a craze, a bit like fidget spinners. Never know next year. She needs a scooter. And you know, right, I promise you now, right, I promise you, I believed it. I believed it. I thought, I can see Faye on a scooter. She's always vibrant. She's always youthful. She's always, you know, got a spring in her step she can do a scooter easy. So anyway, my God, I went down there, boy, and I bought the scooter. Out of the shop, scooter in arm, wrapped it up. The Saturday morning came when it was birthday time. 30 arrived. I get up, breakfast in bed, first of all. Oh, and it's romantic. It's wonderful. You know, full marks. Fantastic. Come on, Faye, come on downstairs. I've got it all ready for you. The happy birthday banners are up. We do parties big in our house. She comes in, and then there's the smaller presents, and the grand present is over there in the corner. She, she opens up the presents, and you know, there's some chocolates. She likes chocolates, as you know, and there's some other little presents that that are there waiting for her. She opens them up, and she's happy, and oh, it's fantastic. And then, the pride and joy, the moment comes. I go over into the corner. I said, Faye, here it is. Here it is. There you go, my love. She holds it on a True story. She holds it on her lap. She rips the paper off, and on the box is a scooter. Now, now, you have to understand... The, 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 the Neil culture that she comes from, right? Because presents can be put in all kinds of boxes with different pictures on to disguise, to disguise what's inside the box. So initially, Faye is not shocked or horrified by what she sees on the box because she does not believe that there's a scooter in the box. <laughs> oh, no. She thinks I'm winding her up. Like we wind each other up every Christmas. For instance, you know, you may have a big box on it with a big, you know, kitchen mixer. And then you open it up and, ba ba, there's an iPad in it. Fantastic. Ha, ha, look, there's not a mixer in it. She thinks there's no scooter in there. She opens the box, ba bam, shock hits her. There's a scooter in there, Faye. Oh, yeah. There's a scooter. Praise God. She looks at it. I tell you now, right? You think you think you need me to pray for you. Oh no, church. I need you to pray for me. Big time. Big time. Right? So anyway, she's just like shocked but smiling. <laughs> she thinks like, have I gone insane or something? You know, it's like one of those crazy movies. <laughs> and there's like this awkward kind of nutty kind of laugh. But I'm like, yeah, come on, Faye, open it up. You know, it's a sunny day. You can go, and I actually said this, you can, you can, you can try it down the street. <laughs> oh, it was awesome. It was awesome, and and, do you know what? She's absolutely fantastic. She said, oh, Dave, do you know, I'm just kind of thinking I'm a bit old for a scooter. And uh, I said, well, I said, look, I said, if it makes you feel better, maybe I could get one. (laughs) True story, right? True story. But I wasn't really into scootering, but I thought she would be. I really did. I really, really did. Long story short, the scooter goes back, okay, for a refund. She didn't even try it. Can you believe it? I mean, would you have tried it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, you would have tried it. Yeah, I know. James, he's a good one. Right? So, anyway, the scooter goes back. An impulsive thought that went wrong. My life's been full of them. And this message really is, you're going to remember this message this morning for all of the impulsive thoughts that I'm going to tell you about, right? Next impulsive thought, one day something just springs up in my head, Dave, you're an artist. I thought, do you know what? I am an artist. I believe it. No, I do. I believe that I am an artist and not just any artist, a modern artist, yeah, I don't want to just, you know, do portraits and, and things and pictures and landscapes. No, there's a modernness about my art. I'm an artist. So, with that in mind, I go into the garage and I get my angle grinder. Now, if you know anything about angle grinders, they are very dangerous. You know, the, 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 the grinding wheel on an angle grinder revolves at something like 25,000 revolutions per minute. There's lots of warnings and lots of guards and you've got to wear glasses and gloves when you're cutting metal with angle grinders if you didn't know. Well, I decided that the angle grinder was going to be a means of creating a new type of art. So I made a propeller and I removed all the guards off the angle grinder and I decided to fix the propeller to the angle grinder. Now remember, when you turn the angle grinder on, the propeller's about this big. You know, when you turn the angle grinder on, whatever's on the angle grinder begins to revolve at about 26,000 revolutions per minute. Now, I don't think it had really caught up in my thinking as to what was going to happen when I turned that thing on. But the wood was there, and it was across. And I plugged it in, and I hadn't yet turned the switch on, but I taped I taped the, the button on the angle grinder down so it would instantaneously come on when I turned the switch on on the extension cable. Well, there I was with the angle grinder. And the moment came where I had to just touch that switch. When I touched that switch, everything was about to change in this area of my shins. But I didn't know at the time, you see. This is how great discoveries are made, church. You've got to go out there and do it. You've got to listen to those impulsive desires to find out what's right and wrong. I pressed that switch, man. That thing began, began to spin instantaneously at 26,000 miles an hour. Smacked me in the shins to which I crashed on the floor And this thing was spinning and flying around the garage and I turned it off in panic and it came landing down on the the ground. But it wasn't over there because I thought, no, okay, okay, this is a development project. (laughs) I bolted it then. I bolted it on a piece of wood and weighted it down to the floor. The next thing was I thought, my God, I'm not giving up. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm more than a conqueror. My God, I'm not going to back off. I'm, not an, I'm an overcomer. <laughs> I, got my, I got my canvas, and I screwed it onto, those, on, onto, that, onto that propeller system on the grinder. Then the canvas was there. The grinder was there. The next moment came. I pressed the button. And as the canvas was spinning now, 26,000 revolutions per minute, Spinning and buzzing and humming and vibrating on the floor, I got my pot of paint. Oh, yeah, you know what's coming. You know what's coming. But listen, listen, if you were as creative as me, you would have done it. But you've never done anything like this, have you? Can you see the mind that I've got? I need transformation, friends. I need renewal of the mind more than anybody in here. I poured that paint. And as it hit that canvas at 26,000 miles an hour, man, my God, it just went fadoosh, right? Over the three walls of the garage, right around the garage door, and all over me, right? Again, sprayed with paint all over the place. I pressed the button, and I looked at the picture, and what a sight. It was modern art, it was modern art i'd made it well that idea came and went that idea came and went one christmas another impulsive idea came to me you are a fashion designer <laughs> serious no word of a lie you are a fa- and i thought do you know what i can do fashion i can do fashion design i mean what is it with these people in vogue and all of this catwalk stuff I can do that. You've just got to make a couple of templates, put the material on. I mean, I was a fabricator welder for years. I, I know about templates. You've got to just put some templates on the floor, get some material, cut it out and sew it up. Do you know what? I thought I could. No, no word of a lie. This is the power of impulsive thoughts. I thought I could make fae clothes for Christmas. <laughs> Did I not? And I but be- this is the amazing thing I believed it with all of my heart. I did. I believed it. I thought I can make her clothes. I went into her wardrobe and I began to, you know, just do some little measurements and I thought it could be velvet. Who kn- you know, purple velvet trousers. With a bit of pink in there. You could I mean, my imagination just went crazy. I can do this. I can be fashion designer. And I went to work, and then the, the only bit that got me was sewing the zipping and doing the seams. Do you know what? If I could have overcome that, she would have had a full set of clothes Christmas morning. Thank God, right, that I pulled out on that one, and I bought her clothes. And after Christmas, I said, oh, do you know what, Faye? I did try to actually make you clothes. <laughs> and I showed her the patterns, and I showed her the bits of material, and she said, "Oh, thanks for that. I'm really glad you bought me some." <laughs> yeah. But this is the this is the this is the impulsive thought that I want to get to this morning, and I want to I want to leave you with. This is the one. Fay one night it was a Wednesday night or a Thursday night. She was coming down to the church. Sally and James run our creative academy done it for years. Come on, let's give Sally and James a massive round of applause for what they've done. (laughs) Coming down, excited as ever, kids excited. We can't wait to go. Yeah. And as they were pulling off the drive, I waved them goodbye and I walked back towards the house. It was going to be another lonely night (laughs) in the house when suddenly a thought came into my mind you are a master chef. Oh, yes. You are a master chef. I took hold of it. I realized it's not going to be a lonely night. It's going to be a fulfilling night when I discover a new destiny, a new direction for my life. I am a master chef. i like a man possessed, like a man empowered, anointed. I ran into the kitchen. And my mind just began to go crazy with all of the recipes and all of the cooking things that I could do in the kitchen. All of these pictures started to flood into my mind. I thought I could do this, I could do that, maybe that one. Who knows? But then I began to look at the time constraints and I lowered my expectation. Maybe another day for those fine dining cuisines. And I thought, "Do you know what, tonight, I'm going to cook cookies. Cookies. I like cookies. Faye likes cookies. The kids like cookies. <laughs> Dad's going to cook cookies. <laughs> so, anyway, I just raided the cupboards, man. I thought, who needs a recipe? Master chefs don't need recipes. Methods? What are they? Forget that. Grab the milk out of the out of the out of the fridge. Let's get the bowl. Put some milk in. I I know cookies have got flour in them. Bang some flour in, a bit of butter, a bit of salt, vanilla. There's always vanilla in cookies. You bang the vanilla in, let's get some sultanas in there. We're gonna have cookies. Daddy's making cookies. I'm a master chef. And in it went no measurements, no ingredients, the ingredients, any old ingredients will do, because I know what I need to know about making cookies, and I just stirred them up. Now, it's fair to say that I have got absolutely no idea about cooking, none at all, no experience, no understanding. I'm not a good cook, and I don't think I ever will be. I'm good at microwave meals, yeah, I can do, you know, Kentucky Fried Chicken, bang it in the oven on full. That's the only, you know, that that that's the only power that a master chef needs on a cooker is full, full. I still cook on full now. Everything's on full. Made the ingredients and it looked good. And I got one tray out and there was about 20 on there. Just, you know... Spooned it out, and the, on went the cookies, and in went the tray. Then I got another tray and five trays later there's sti- there's about a hundred cookies now in the oven, man, and i 've still got three quarters of a bowl of ingredients. I thought man this is this is cookie magic we 're going to be eating cookies for the rest of our lives. I really have got a gift I really have, so anyway. Fifty minutes later, I look at them, and they are golden brown. I think, man, this is awesome. Then the door opens. In walks Faye, and the kids come running in as ever, excited. Daddy, daddy, want to tell me about the night? And then I got my first hint of trouble when one of the kids said, Eww, what's that smelling? So I just, you know, dismissed it and said, Hey, listen, dad's been cooking cookies for you it's going to be wonderful. We're going to have cookies before bed. I opened the oven, pulled out one tray of 30 cookies, and Faye's face, the features on her face tightened. Do you know when, like, you get a smile, and it's a very tight smile? You're trying to smile, but it's tight. It's tight. And I thought, do you know what? In for a penny, in for a pound. Faye! You can have the first one. Let me tell you her response. Very graceful. Very, very graceful. She said, You know what, Dave? I've eaten, I've had a number of meals today. I don't think I could eat a cookie right now. I said, Faye, you gotta have a cookie. Daddy's been cooking cookies. You can see the sweat. You can see the hard work that's gone into this. You've got to set a good example. Please taste a cookie. <laughs> and you know what? Being a man, I had to put a bit of pressure on. You know, she could see it in my eyes. Dave ain't taking no for an answer. I'm sorry. I know it's wrong, but I needed mommy to set that example because I needed the kids eating these cookies, taking them to school, giving them to their friends. These cookies needed to go, man. So she graciously peeled one off peeled one off, and she took a bite of it. And it was like, oh man, humorous, to say the least. I said, swallow it down, Faye, come on. Swallow it down. You know it's good. And she put it discreetly into her hand, and then she had to put it in the bin. The kids didn't see it. I go to the kids, come on, kids. One took one off. They were excited. It's a cookie. It must be nice. Took a big bite of it. And then, you know, kids don't beat around the bush, do they? One just spat it across the kitchen. (laughs) The other one eating it just said, Dad, this is disgusting. Threw it in the bin. And my pride was hurt. I realized that I wasn't a master chef. I realized that I didn't have this amazing ability just to take ingredients and mix them together and make cookies, never mind anything else. Well, you know, the hundreds of cookies that I made that night went into the bin almost immediately, and we had a good laugh about it. We had a good laugh. The, the mixture, I think we used it as render on the walls. It was really good stuff. But I say all of that, to say this. Humorous stories, I say all of that, to say this. Are there ingredients to life? Are there ingredients to the way that we live? If we're going to live successful, if we're going to be the people that God wants us to be, are there ingredients that we need to have in our lives in order for our lives to be successful. John chapter 13, I wanted to bring it from a different angle today, a humorous angle, but also an angle that will give us an insight into this, into this night where Jesus was with his disciples because really Jesus was giving them a recipe. He was giving them a recipe for success. Now, up until this time, they'd used all kinds of ingredients in their lives. Their lives was a, a concoction of many different qualities and characteristics, hurts and pains, ups and downs, characteristics that, that Jesus knew wouldn't take them the distance, wouldn't get them to where He wanted them to go. But Jesus, on, in John chapter 13, on the last night of His life, had destined for these men to be in a room with Him for him to hand them a recipe, a recipe. That's what he was doing. And when he said to them those wonderful words, as I have loved you, love one another, he was disclosing to them the essential ingredient that is necessary in every relationship we have he was disclosing to them and revealing to them the recipe that was that was necessary for their lives to succeed. If they would use this one ingredient in its many forms, in its many flavors, in its many qualities, if they would take that one ingredient and allow the Holy Spirit to work it and craft it into their lives every single day, they would surely never be overcome by anything. They would always succeed. They would never retreat in failure. They would face hardship. They would face unbelievable challenges and difficulties. But through every storm, they would come through to a place of peace. They really would. Why is it that some people's lives continually just taste like a dessert? You ever noticed that about people? Some people, their lives are just like a dessert. Everybody enjoys tasting their life. Everybody enjoys being with them. Could it be that they have thought about the ingredients that they're stirring in their heart? Could it be that they have a recipe for life? that they are using when they wake up every day and they decide to carefully set out the ingredients before they face the challenges of the day and the opportunities, and they carefully, in the mixing bowl of their heart, bring all of those things together, and then out from the issues of their heart, they bring forth a good thing. Could it be that when people succeed and when people are good at relationships and when people are good and strong at life, could it be, could it just be that they're holding the right recipe and using the correct ingredients in balance to one another? And that's why they're successful in the things that they do. God gave Joshua a tip one day when speaking to him regarding the essential ingredients for making his life successful. He said this, Joshua, meditate on my word day and night that you might be a success. God doesn't want anybody to be a failure. God doesn't want to grind anybody into the dust. God wants everybody to be successful, but you've got to meditate on the ingredients day and night, and you've got to use those ingredients in balance with one another, and you've got to mix them around in the mixing bowl of your heart, and as life presents itself, it'll go well with you. Did not Jesus say, I think it's in John chapter 12, if I'm right, He said, a good man, out of the good treasure, out of the good ingredients of his heart, brings forth good things. It's not rocket science, people. When, when good things are in there, guess what? Good things are coming out. When good ingredients, when the highest qualities of God's nature are packed and loaded inside you and you decide to mix them together in faith, in your heart, in that mixing bowl, in that cooker of life and you feed it up to your colleagues, you feed it up to your family, you feed it up to your church family, you feed it up to anybody that needs feeding, does it surprise us that life goes well for such a person when good things are in you, good things come out of you? But, but consequently, Jesus also said, and an evil man out of the evil treasure inside brings forth evil things. If there's bad things in you, bad ingredients, ingredients that are not balancing, that are not measured from God's Word, then bad things are going to come out. Jesus is brilliant. Jesus is awesome. And if we listen and hear and apply his word to our lives, then our lives are going to go well. Our lives are going to be strong. Our lives are going to be a success. It really is. Do you want to be like me working without a recipe? Do you want to be like me just raiding right the cupboard and just, you know, doing what's right in my own eyes? Well, a bit of this, a bit of that, and then serving it up and nobody will eat it. Why do you think people avoid people? I'll tell you why. Because they use all of the wrong ingredients, jealousy, envy, fear, bitterness, and they, they mix it and they knead it in their heart and they cook it off and then they serve it up. Do you think people are going to eat that stuff? You've got another thing coming. They're going to avoid you like a bad restaurant. And this is the reality of life, friends. This is the secret of life. This is what Jesus is talking about when he said, out of the goodness of a man's heart, good comes forth. Out of the evilness of a man's heart, evil comes forth. Proverbs says, above all else, above all else, guard your heart. Above all else, guard the mixing bowl where all of the ingredients of life are stirred. It's inside you where sometimes the greatest problems lie not outside you. But you can, you can look at life and you can say, do you know what, he's my problem, she's my problem, this is my problem, that is my problem, and you don't look under your own nose and you don't realize that it's your own heart that's your problem. But when you get, a, when you get an understanding, and none of us are perfect, please, we've all got areas, that we're working on, but when we realize that, hey, listen, there's a recipe for life, and it's been handed to us. It's been handed to us to take hold of and apply. James said, don't just be a hearer, be a doer. Be a doer. Faith without works is dead. I've heard about these ingredients, they're great ingredients, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All oh, the ingredients are wonderful. They're fantastic. Until you begin to work those things, mix those things, get them down into the fabric of your life and get exposed to some issues and get exposed to some problems and get exposed to some pain in order for that that, that meal to come up out, out of you. Your faith will be dead, but God wants us to have a living, working, tangible faith that is real and alive. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. We're going to close right now. Have you enjoyed it this morning? Bit of fun? Different type of message? But just, hey, listen, the Holy Spirit does it like that. He does it rarely with me like that. Rarely. Rarely do I speak that kind of message. But this morning, he just wanted to come at this in a different way to make it simple and practical and understandable. He's handing his boys recipe, the recipe for successful living. Boys, what happened in the afternoon, competing with one another, arguing, fighting, backbiting, it's not part of this kingdom. If you want that, then you can go back to the world that you come to but it's not welcome here in my kingdom. It's not welcome. You've got to love one another. It's not about the one. It's about the one another. You don't ever single one person out and and, and, and isolate people. No, we're a body. We're a body. We don't ever cut a member off. We're a body. We don't tolerate bad behavior. Let me just help you in this house. We don't tolerate bad behavior you would not tolerate my bad behavior. And as a leader and as a pastor here, I'll not tolerate yours. Because love just doesn't lie down and, ex- and, and accept anything. When my children, you know, were young and they, they, they threw their plate of food across the table, do you know what? There was a time when that was acceptable. Oh, look, they've done it again. Oh, it's all over daddy now. Oh, look, now it's all over Mummy. ha, <laughs> ha, ha, ha. But you know what? When they came of age... That behavior became not acceptable, not acceptable. And Daddy showed them a different side of Daddy. Daddy instructed them patiently and lovingly and caringly. Because if Daddy did not instruct them well, then how would they be fitted for life? How would they be fitted in their behavior? you would see them and they would be absolutely obnoxious. And we're still working on areas now. But they would be obnoxious to you. They'd come into your home and they would be of an age where you think that you'd be able to serve them a, a drink or a meal and they'd just grab it and they'd throw it over you. That's absolutely ridiculous. No, there comes a time where bad behavior lovingly can be confronted. We don't just lie down and say, ah, we love you. Just do what you want. No, thank you. Not in this house. Not in this house. Because we've all got to grow. And we've all got to attain that wonderful life that Jesus has given us. Is that okay? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Right now, I'm going to pray over you. And I'm going to ask, maybe today you're here, you have never asked Jesus into your heart. And, you know, the essential ingredient for life is missing. Jesus, your Savior, the one that loves you, the one that died for you, the one that you heard stories about in school, the person that your nan told you about. She told you to pray. The person here this morning, your Nan told you about Jesus and it's brought memories this morning, telling you by the Spirit of God right now. Your Nan told you about Jesus. Listen, He's the one you can trust. He's the person that wants to live inside your heart, the one ingredient to make your life successful. I'm going to pray for you right now. You can ask Jesus into your heart. Close your eyes, pray for you. Just say this after me if you'd like to ask Jesus into your heart today. Today, Jesus, I call on your name. Please save me. Save me from my sin. Save me from myself. Be that person, the Savior of my life that I need you to be. I give you my life. I open my heart. And I ask you to come. If you prayed that prayer while eyes are closed right now, heads about, would you quickly lift up your hand? We just want to give you a Bible. I'll give you a moment. That's it, Paul. Well done, mate. Is there anybody else? Well done, James. That's it, mate. We wait a few moments. We're all born again this morning. That's absolutely wonderful. Father, I pray for your people too. Lord, I pray that we would know this love for one another as you have loved us. I pray that each one of us would be able to love one another as you have loved us. And Lord, as the world look on and see this love that we have for one another, they would truly be able to say that there are followers of Jesus. We ask it in Jesus' name for your glory. Amen.